The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. All right, let's, uh, let's, start, let's start with this. Um, let's get something up on the board here. You see the gorilla? How many people see the gorilla? Just raise your hand if you see the gorilla. It's pretty obvious. Uh, this, was, um, this, this is a screen grab, a screenshot from a video used in an experiment experiment by a man named uh, Dr. Don uh, Simons, Dan Simons, I'm sorry, a psychologist and researcher at the University of Illinois. He wanted to make the point that, listen now, looking is not the same as seeing. Okay, Looking is not the same as seeing. And in the video, which was really only just a a little more than a minute and a half long, as that video progressed, can we see that picture again? There, there, was, um, there was three people with black shirts and three people with white shirts, and the gorilla was not there to start with. And the people were told, we want you just to watch and count the number of passes that happened, the ball being passed between members of the white team. And so people watched the video. They counted the number of passes in all the white team. And as that was happening... This gorilla comes into the midst of the circle, stops for a second, beats his chest, because that's what gorillas do, and then walked off. Video continued. The people were asked, how many ball passes? 16 ball passes between members of the white team. Second question, did you see the gorilla? And fully half of the people never saw the gorilla. The half of the people who did see the gorilla, sure, I saw the gorilla, of course I did. Uh, did you also see that the curtains changed color in the midst of, of the process? Did you also see that one of the black team members actually left the video and never came back? And they said, no, we didn't see that. And the doctor makes his point. Looking, everybody was looking at the video, looking it's not the same as seeing. Now, I fear that that's the same kind of thing that can happen as week by week we're reading the gospel. We're looking at what's happening, but are we really seeing what's happening? Are we seeing the extraordinary things? I mean, I'm struck. Because in the gospel, you can tell the difference between everybody's looking at what Jesus is doing. Everybody's looking into his teaching, but only some are seeing it. And I'm struck by how many people are not seeing who Jesus is and what he's come to accomplish. They're not seeing what's happening right in front of their eyes. Now, Luke's gospel today, chapter 5, we're looking at verses 17 through 26. The people actually say at the end of this account, they say, we have seen extraordinary things today. And yet, despite being right there looking at Jesus, there were some in the crowd who just didn't see it. Now, God is doing, I believe, and I'm hearing it from you too. God is doing some extraordinary things, I believe, in our church in these days. 
We're seeing God do some awesome things. Lives being transformed. People coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He's pouring out his spirit and strengthening the faith of some who are going through deep waters. There is a sweet spirit, I believe, in this church of love and generosity toward one another. There is a care for one another in this church that is tangible. And yet some of you can't see it. Though you're right here. And you're looking right at it. I'm hoping that today's message is going to help us all to see that God is doing extraordinary things among us. So let's let's read the text. This is verses 17 through 26 in Luke chapter 5. Let me read this and then we'll pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Amen. All right, let's pray together. Father, we need you. We've sung that already. We've cried out to you. And God, I pray uh, that you would not let anything hinder uh, the hearing and understanding and the believing of your word right now. Help us not only to look today, but to see. And God, change us for having seen. These things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Do you see that God is doing extraordinary things among us? Let's recognize that uh, we're all going to start Um, with the ordinary. That's the starting point for all of us. Um, Notice in verse 17, if you isolate the phrase, it was just, uh, it was just one of those days. You see that in the verse? It, It was just one of those days, just kind of an ordinary day, really just another day of teaching, uh, for this, a preacher who was kind of like at the top of the charts. He was uh, gaining popularity, traveling around from village to village in Galilee But it was actually a pretty common thing for traveling preachers to kind of move about the countryside and to go to village to village. This wasn't unusual at all. What we see in Jesus was pretty common. He wasn't the first to do it and he wouldn't be the last. So this is a pretty common occurrence. And in the days before any, um, you know, electronic media, any televisions, any computers, people would eagerly gather to listen to a guy come and preach, even if he was a bit of a whack job, they'd still come. At the very least, in the pre-TV days, it provided them with something to do. 
You could see a guy who had been working all day and he's heading home uh, to his wife and children. And, and on the way, he finds out there's a preacher in town. He comes home and he's, he's like, Martha, let's go. There's a preacher in town. We got something to do tonight. It's like date night for them, right? It's like, you've got a reason to go out. There's someone to listen to. There's something. It's kind of like for them because like we'll go home at night and we'll, we'll have our dinner and we'll flick on the television and watch, you know, America's Got Talent or something like, and that's what this was like. It was America's Got Talent. This guy's not very good, uh, but at least we had something to do tonight. We watched this act and it was awful. Or this guy, you know, he's making sense and we like him. Well, we all live these ordinary lives. Every one of us um, are 168 hours in a week. Um, when we start to add it up, we would look at all of that and go, um, pretty ordinary, most of it. We sleep, we eat, we do chores around our house, we go to work, we take care of our kids. I mean, it's just pretty mundane, 168 hours. Most of it is extraordinarily ordinary. That's, that's kind of the lot for every one of us, pretty mundane. And it's absolutely okay for us to kind of admit that and to start in that place. But please, let's not become settled with that. Let's look for something greater than the ordinary. Let's not get so locked into it that we forget that there's something greater that God is doing and wants to do in your life and the life of people around you. Some people have lived such ordinary lives for so long. They've stopped looking for anything else. Some people love routine. They love things to be absolutely the same all the time. They're so afraid of change. Make it the same. Keep it the same. I don't want anything to ever change. I'm I'm very fond of ordinary. Some of you are wired up and... In that way, you've stopped looking for anything else. It's sad. If I could plead with you in this moment is not to allow life to become so ordinary or even beyond that for you to become so jaded about life. Well, nothing, nothing special ever is going to happen. That you would miss the thing that God is doing. That you would become so locked in by your cynicism and you would resign yourself to life as it is. When all around you, God is doing the extraordinary. You just need to see it. And the first step really in seeing something more is to recognize what extraordinary looks like. Well, how am I going to know when I see it? Recognize what extraordinary looks like. In verses 22 and 23, Jesus addresses the cynicism of the religious leaders. Their hardened hearts were actually keeping them from seeing the awesome things that Jesus was doing and saying right in front of them. Look at these verses again, 22 and 23, when Jesus perceived their thoughts. I mean, that's the advantage Jesus has. As the son of God with the Holy Spirit's power in him, um, he's able to perceive the thoughts, know the heart of these religious leaders. He answered them, why do you question your hearts? Why are you thinking about those things? Why are you saying those things to each other? And then he throws it out there. What's the easier thing? He's going to try and help them understand what's extraordinary and what's not. 
Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? What's the easier thing here? He's making a comparison for them. Now, these Pharisees were angry because he had said to the man that his sins could be forgiven. He asked them this question between easy and hard. He wants to compare what would be in some respects two very hard things. He lays out this spectrum of extraordinary things for us. Saying some things are more extraordinary than others. And let's look at it this way. I thought it would be helpful for us to actually have uh, something to look at. Let's just call this the extraordinary things spectrum. From something that is not at all extraordinary to something that is extremely quite extraordinary. And we see all of this happening in this very passage. So the first thing we see, of course, are these scribes and Pharisees. And they're losing it on Jesus. And there's absolutely no um, question at all. As to what they believe about Jesus when they say, who is this who speaks blasphemies? I'm not sure when the last time was that you used the word blasphemy in a sentence in a normal conversation. Anybody recently, the last week, you used the word blasphemy with someone? I mean, this is a pretty um, power-packed theological word. This isn't just an ordinary word. And when these religious leaders who know their theology well, when they use this word blasphemy, uh, they have some intent behind it. It's a fighting word. And in their minds, uh, to commit blasphemy is to be punished. Uh, you're able to be punished by death. And of course, we know that they would eventually get their way with regard to Jesus. This is, this is their sin. I mean, these men, please understand something about the Pharisees. These men are the top religious leaders of their day. They represented a certain party within Judaism or a certain denomination, if you will. The Pharisees, if they were a church uh, today, would be, listen now, they would be the conservative evangelicals of their day. In case you missed the point or you don't know the tags, uh, that would be us. They have a high view of scripture. They have a high regard for moral living. They have a high regard for telling other people about how to worship God and to draw them to him and, and kind of helping them walk with the Lord. I mean, you start to walk through all of the characteristics of the Pharisee and you find out that we are the Pharisees in terms of being a party, a group or a denomination within this, this faith system. And yet these men miss the most important part of the message. They miss the messenger. They missed seeing their own Messiah, the one that they were waiting for and hoping for. They were looking at him with their own eyes. And yet not seeing him. We might not think of this as sin, but it is. It's the sin of not seeing Jesus. It's the sin of rejecting God's offer of salvation. And what we find on our spectrum of extraordinary things is, first of all, this, that sinning, sinning is easy. I mean, this is all coming very naturally to these religious leaders. 
And just so I make sure, because I like to do this once in a while, I want to make sure I'm preaching to the right crowd. How many people here, just survey time, how many people here you would, find, you would just say sinning is easy for you? That's easy, right? Correct. And those of you who did not raise your hand, you lied and proved that sinning is easy. <laughs> Correct? Happy Thanksgiving to any guests here this morning. <laughs> Come here, this is what you get. Sinning is easy, not at all extraordinary. Why? Because we all have a sin nature. We've set our face against God, severed uh, in our relationship from him because of our sin. Now for these, these Pharisees, and this is the thing we have to understand historically of what's going on here, that the problem with Jesus forgiving sins in this moment, and we're going to come back to why this is such a beautiful story, why it's so powerful, and why this is so extraordinary. But these religious leaders were the protectors of the system that they had in place in Israel. And the problem with Jesus forgiving sins was it threatened their way of life. It threatened their exclusive franchise on forgiving the sins of the people. The whole economy of Israel and her religion were intricately tied together. The livelihood of the suppliers of sacrificial animals, the priests, and all the temple associates who drew their wages from the, from the temple. It all depended on the sacrificial system, which had as its primary purpose the need for people to come and make atonement for their personal sins. You tell people in Galilee that they're forgiven just like that? They'll start to think they don't need to go to Jerusalem. They're going to start to think they don't need to buy a lamb to sacrifice. It's going to threaten the very fabric of Israel. With one simple statement in a small town in Galilee, everyone recognized that Jesus could bring the whole industry down. They're responding out of fear to protect the exclusive franchise they had over the forgiveness of sins. No, they weren't the only ones. In fact, again, if you're wondering what kind of church harvest is, um, we're a Protestant church. We're a Protestant evangelical conservative church, if you will. But we're part of the 500-year Protestant movement. It began in earnest when uh, Martin Luther, we have a picture of him up there. That's from his Twitter account. I got that. <laughs> no, really, I did. It's Martin Luther, at Martin Luther. Um, I don't know why you don't believe me. I, check it out yourself right now. So Luther, 500 years ago, let's get this back on the rails, okay? Martin, I think I'm the problem. Martin Luther <laughs> posted his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. Now, we think of that as some kind of big rebellious act. He walked up there with a hammer and a nail and his 95 points that he wanted to make. And he proudly and boldly put this against the door and pounded in so that everyone would know that, that I'm, I'm challenging what the church is teaching. And it really wasn't that way. The door of the church was very often used in the same way that a website might be used today. And if Luther were around and did have a Twitter account, uh, he'd probably, if he wanted people to think think about the 95 things he was thinking about, he would have just uploaded a website. 
And so these are the 95 things I want to talk about, and I want to talk about these with church leadership. Let's have a discussion. And that's really what this whole thing was about, was Luther challenging uh, the Roman Catholic Church uh, about some of his concerns. That happened, by the way, on October 31st, 1517. We're coming up real close to the 500th anniversary of that uh, momentous day. Now, chief among his concerns was, listen now, the selling of indulgences by the Roman Catholic Church. If if you're not into history, just humor me for a moment. Keep your heads up and your eyes open and just listen uh, to this because it's important in our history. Uh, The selling of indulgences by the Roman Catholic Church, this was required by the church so that people's sins could be forgiven. You had to buy the forgiveness of your sins by buying these trinkets and... um, and, and buying indulgences, looking at relics that were found, like they would, they would say that, uh, you know, this is a, a lock of the hair from the infant Jesus, and you would pay to go and look, in, you'd go into this church, and they would have this, this lock of hair that they said was from the infant Jesus, and you would go in and look, and you'd pay to do that, and that would help you have the forgiveness of your sins. And Europe had all kinds of these uh, little trinkets that were around, that uh, none of which were legit. They had fragments from the cross and and all kinds of stuff like this. And people would pay to see these things, and that would allow them to have the forgiveness of their sins. Now, the problem was that the Roman Catholic Church dominated the Christian church in Europe during that uh, part of um, history. It really was the exclusive expression of Christianity. And this was an era that was predating the Bible in the language of the people. The people spoke their own languages. The Bible was in... Uh, Greek and Latin only. The Bible wasn't even available in book form. And so the people were at the mercy of the Latin-speaking priests. And so in effect, what happened was the Catholic Church had an exclusive monopoly on forgiveness. And Luther and other reformers were used by God to let the people know exactly what we're hearing here in the gospel today. God forgives your sins. Priests are unnecessary. You don't need anyone else to go to God for you. You go to God. He freely forgives those who repent and turn to him. No other sacrifice is going to be necessary. You don't have to pay for this in any way. There's no need for the ongoing mass for for the continual reflection. Re-crucifying of the son of God. One sacrifice, that of Jesus Christ, ended the need for all other sacrifices. Salvation would be received by faith as a gift of God. No possible uh, payment could be made for that. I love what Paul said, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, that's why Jesus came, both to deliver a message about the kingdom of God, about the forgiveness of sins, and then also to personally give his life to make it possible. It's too easy to sin. But then it's too easy to sin by making this whole thing more complicated than it needs to be. The message is very simple. Accept what Jesus has done for you by faith. 
And in fact, notice that next, that acting in faith, if we look at sinning as being easy, acting in faith is still somewhat easy on our spectrum. Verses 18 and 19, we have um, in the earlier part of this story, Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, place is just packed. They went up on top of the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst of Jesus. These men are bringing their friend. He's, he's paralyzed. They're so convinced of what can happen here that they're, gonna, they're willing uh, to not take uh, the big crowds as a no. Uh, they're willing to take some extreme measures to f- have Jesus see this man and heal him. Now, Jesus is obviously pretty pleased to see them, acknowledges their great faith. I'm not sure the homeowner felt exactly the same as Jesus because now his roof had a hole in it. These men believed. I hope you would say that it's still somewhat easy to believe on the spectrum of everything that we're looking at. It wasn't terribly hard for these men to see that their friend had a need. It wasn't hard for him to see that he had a need. It wasn't hard for them. It was still somewhat easy for them to know that Jesus had come through, that there had been others who were healed. It was still somewhat easy for these friends to pick him up, to carry him to the place, even to get him on the roof, a little more challenging than just going through the door, but still somewhat easy to clear off the roof, to lower him down. When we look at what really is hard, this is still somewhat easy. They're acting in faith and the Bible tells us we don't need much of it. And we don't need to understand everything to exercise it. We just need to come in faith. And Jesus acknowledged that that's exactly the basis on which they came. They believed that Jesus could make a difference. And I hope that's plain in your life. Faith in Jesus Christ above all things, as simple as that is. Do you have that simple faith in Jesus Christ? Some of you probably do. Many of you do. And some of you here uh, today, whether you've been invited here today, you're a guest here today, or you've been coming weeks, months, years, and you've never personally exercised your faith in Christ. It's really as simple as that. Lord, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus Christ to forgive my sins. I'm coming to you in faith. I've come to the end of myself. There's nothing I can do to save myself. And then find the forgiveness that he offers you. It's as simple. really is. Don't complicate it. It's as simple as that. Well, the story continues. Then see that healing someone, uh, this is uh, somewhat hard. Verses 24 and uh, 25 uh, continue on here. But uh, that you may know, this is Jesus talking, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. Jesus responds to the harshness of these overly religious guys by healing the man, which evidently is only somewhat 
hard. We would consider it to be very hard, but for God, remember, this is Jesus Christ. This is only somewhat hard. In fact, we know that not only Jesus healed, but as you read uh, through the rest of the scriptures, you find that the disciples, later the apostles would heal. We know from the Old Testament record that at times the Old Testament prophets were given the power to heal. I mean, all that is required, sounds like a funny statement, but all that is required for this more extraordinary thing to happen is that they would have, or you would have, or I would have the power of God. That's what verse 17 said Jesus had. You just have to have the power of the Lord with the person who's doing the healing. Now, by this time in the story, the hardest thing has already been done. The physical healing comes after the forgiveness of his sins. I mean, that was Jesus' whole point here. Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven. The man was forgiven. This is the hard thing. Forgiving someone, that's hard. We're talking here about the rift between us and God. But so that we can understand a little bit about the hard thing that it is to forgive someone, I want you to think more about our horizontal relationships for just a moment. Not many of us in this room would have any a difficulty thinking of a time or an incident or an offense where we found it difficult to forgive someone. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm going to make the assumption That at some point in your life, someone has done something to you. Someone has hurt you in some way. And you found it, or maybe you are continuing to find it difficult to forgive that person. It's not a stretch to think that every person in this room could think of something that has happened to you. Where you go, I'm I'm finding it difficult to forgive Why is it hard? Well, sometimes it's because the offense or the hurt is so deep. And it affects our lives so profoundly. In some cases, could affect our life for the entirety of the rest of our life. That the wounding and the scars are there. And for that reason, it's hard. For some of us, we can't even, it's so hard. We can't even say the words. When asked, would you forgive me? We can't say the words. I forgive you. A forgiveness is hard. And we might even believe that we, we can't. I don't have it in me to forgive. It's not in my heart. Sometimes we say the words. I forgive you. Knowing that it's not really in our hearts yet. And that's hard too. We're we're saying I forgive you because we know the truth. We know what we ought to do as the followers of Christ. We know that we've been forgiven and we ought to forgive others. We know that the measure by which we're able to forgive is the measure by which God forgives us. It's the measure of whether or not we're truly saved in some respects. 
Sometimes we say the words, I forgive you, knowing it's the right thing, but our heart's not quite there yet. That makes it hard. Forgiveness is hard. And then sometimes we we say the words, I forgive you. And in our hearts, we believe it. We get to the place where it's genuine forgiveness, not just in words, but really in the attitudes that we have and how we treat the person. And then our mind takes us to a place where we're reminded of the hurt. Oh, how I hate that. When my thoughts take me back to the offense, an offense I've already cleared, I've already believed needs to be gone. And I'm reminded of it. And I'm tempted in that moment to bring it up again. Bring it up with myself. Bring it up with the person. Bring it up with someone else. Listen, forgiveness is hard, isn't it? In every respect. Can I even say that for us who are the followers of Jesus Christ, this is the hardest thing in our walk with Christ while we live on this earth is the ability to forgive one another. Now, the context here in this passage is not the horizontal relationships with one another, but the vertical relationship with God. I mean, he's the one who needs to forgive us. That's what we're looking for. I mean, ultimately, do we understand that all sin is ultimately against him, even if we commit a sin against another person? This is kind of the reason why I'm, I'm a little bit out on the phrase, oh, I just need to forgive myself because I know I can sin against my own body. But ultimately, my sin is, it's not against me. It's not against you. Ultimately, my sin is always against the Lord. I think about David in Psalm 51 when he's repenting for the sin against Bathsheba. He committed adultery. He had her husband killed. He lied about it. He jeopardized the safety of the nation. Multiple other people were collateral damage in the battle that ensued where there was no victory because David had sinned. There was so much effect from all of this on on the entire nation. And David is before the Lord repenting after Nathan had called him out. And what does David say? Against you, you only have I sinned. What? David, Bathsheba, Uriah, the nation, everyone else is against, really? I mean, that's what God wants us to see, is how much our sin is an affront to him. We're concerned with the vertical relationship. We need forgiveness from our God. Now, even for for God, because we're trying to understand now on this spectrum how forgiveness is hard. And I want to make a statement here that it's kind of ridiculous when you hear it. But even for God, forgiveness is hard. Let me explain that. A holy God could not simply overlook our sin. We'd like to think that he could. But he is so holy and righteous and we are so depraved in who we are. The sin nature so completely consuming us that God unable to even look at sin and remain holy. 
could not simply overlook this and welcome us into his family. It needed drastic measures. A price had to be paid for that sin. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, needed to take on human flesh, live among us, face temptation just like us, and give his life on the cross for us. Jesus Christ needed to become that sacrifice for sin. He needed to shed his blood on our behalf for us to find the forgiveness of our sins. Everything about the plan was hard. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have pleaded in the garden for a different way. The perfect son of God who had the power in full measure of the Holy Spirit in his life pleaded with God for another way. Otherwise, he wouldn't have cried out from the cross as he was dying. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The price that Christ paid, the price that the Father paid for us. Forgiveness is hard. The most extraordinary thing of all is seeing God's love in all of this. He loved us so much that he gave us his son. And as we start to move towards the end of this spectrum and we see the end point of it all, the hardest thing of all is the exercising of his love and the forgiveness that flows from it in giving us his son. The most extraordinary thing of all is Jesus saying from the cross, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. That's awesome. What do you think? That, that, that's extraordinary. Above all other things. And when you finally see that God is doing all these extraordinary things, of all the things we could possibly see, because we get so fixated, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if God healed someone? It's awesome every week when God forgives someone. It's more awesome. It's more extraordinary than anything else we could ever experience. And when you finally see that, you will stand in awe of him. You'll worship him. Notice verse 26. Amazement sees them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now, this is a bit, I, I have to say, this is a bit of a what's a person to do next kind of moment. I mean, if it's true that God is doing all these extraordinary things, then what am I going to do with that? What do I do with what I know? I'm looking at it. Now I'm starting to see it. It's coming into focus for me. If that's what God is doing, and if I've received the forgiveness that he offers then there's an appropriate response to that. And I need to respond. I need to move beyond even just simply being filled with awe to respond and allow that to infiltrate and influence every part of my life. To tell others that I have seen extraordinary things. 
I mean, the man at the center of this story, the, the man who's healed of his paralysis, I mean, he was paralyzed and he walked out. But more importantly, he heard Jesus say the words, your sins are forgiven. This man went out doubly blessed. Jesus told him, pick up your bed, go home. But do you really think that was the end of it? It said he went home glorifying God. What does that mean? Was he glowing? No, he was walking. He was walking like a man freed, not just from physical paralysis, but freed from the burden of his sins. He was walking away a saved man. And the glory that was coming from him had to have been him telling everyone what happened to him on the way home. He didn't just go home and go about his life. We have to believe that of all the people in the room who were in awe of him, don't you think this man was more in awe than anyone else? Everything had been forever altered for him. When we stand in awe of who Jesus Christ really is, it's going to radically alter our lives. There's no way we can go back to the way it was before. When we're converted to Christ, it's never ho-hum, it's never bland, and it shouldn't be for the entirety of our time walking with him. When you see these extraordinary things happening, uh, not just around you, but in your own life, And you're going to see some things that are the radiating of the glory of God in your life. I hope these things are true of you. This is what you should be seeing, what you should be experiencing. These are the very real effects of forgiveness. First, I would talk about freedom from your past. I didn't talk to Roger about this before, but Roger spent so much time in counseling with people and in soul care and what little I know about counseling, I know this, that the vast majority about it, of it is about people trying to get freed of their past. Trying to overcome things that happened to them or that, or that they did to themselves. And I can't emphasize enough that the most painful memories of bad decisions, of actions taken, of hurts that have come upon you are forever expunged by the blood of Jesus Christ. Forever. And when those are brought up again, that is your flesh or that is the evil one trying to knock you down from the place that Jesus has placed you. Our past is a zero before the Lord. Jesus said it is finished. He meant your past. He meant he completed what was necessary. No more sacrifices need to be made. You don't need any more recriminations. You don't need to go over it one more time. You don't need to bear any more regrets. The guilt and the shame is gone. Freedom. And how about this? Secondly, identity. The clarity that comes from knowing who you are in Christ. You're bought with his blood. The most precious commodity this world has ever seen. You've been purchased with his blood. You belong to God. You're no longer wandering about trying to figure this out. I I belong to God. I'm in his family. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the king of kings and lord of lords. 
This world is not my permanent home. I got another place I'm getting to. Not sure how long it's going to take for me to get there. While I'm here, I'm going to be faithful to him because I belong there. I'm looking forward to a day that's better. I'm an heir of the riches of Christ. Whatever poverty I'm experiencing in this life, there's something a pretty awesome waiting for me on the other side. So I belong to him. He's my father. In his family. I hope you're not still wondering about who you are. If, if you've found the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you, you ought to know who you are. His. Thirdly, how about a purpose? I have a sense of purpose. I'm not wondering why I'm here and what this life is about. I, I, got, I got this figured out. Life as a Christ follower, it's, it's not a Sunday uh, religious ritual. It's, it's not just kind of performing things that I think I ought to perform. It's, it's, not, it's not even part of my life. I would never say that Jesus is part of my life. But Jesus is my life. He's the whole thing, top to bottom, inside out. I, mean, I don't have any life apart from Jesus Christ. He's, he's the whole thing. And I exist in this life to bring, just like this paralytic going home. He went home glorifying God. I, I want to be here glorifying God. I want to go home this afternoon glorifying God. I, I want to go through my week glorifying God. That's my entire purpose with everything that I do, bringing glory to Jesus Christ. I exist to do that. And to help others do it too. To tell them. They can have all these things I'm talking about here. Freedom from your past. Forgiveness of sins. They can have identity in Christ. They can have this purpose too. I want to tell other people that too. That's my mission. That's my purpose. That's why I'm here. And then finally this. Something that we just need to be reminded of. Over and over again. Number four. The very real effects of all of this in our lives is knowing that we are loved. Do you know that nothing will help you overcome sin? The ongoing sin battle you have in your life. Nothing will help you more than just knowing that God loves you. And that you can't find love in anything else. So often in, in sinning, that's what, that's what we're trying to do. We're looking for love. We're looking for affirmation. We're looking for fulfillment in anything other than God. So that's the root. But when I know I'm loved, I'm not looking there anymore. I'm only looking to him. I, I know he loves me. He fills the emptiness in my life. He is my fulfillment, my joy. He's everything to me. When I see all these extraordinary things happening, not just around me, but in me. When I see all of that, I know that my life is truly fulfilled. The Father loves me. So much so. That Jesus gave his life for me. He was resurrected to new life for me. He sent me the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell me. When you get this, when you get all of this, and this is in play in your own life and in the life of your family, God's going to be so pleased with that. When you get this and you see it not only happening, 
in people around you, but in your own life, then you're truly standing in awe of extraordinary things. The extraordinary things that he's doing and that he has done. I hope you see it. Do you see it? Do you see it? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and all he's done for us. And God, I pray that we as a church and as the people of God here at Harvest would never become complacent. God, that we would never get to the place of being ho-hum about the mighty things that you're doing around us. God, I pray that you would do what you've already done and that you would increase your work amongst us as each of us opens up our hearts to this. And Father, where there are some here whose hearts are still closed, who are looking but not seeing, I pray, God, that you would break them, that your Holy Spirit would be convincing them, even in this moment, stirring in their hearts to truly see the extraordinary things that you want to do in their life. God, as I pray so often, make us the church that you want us to be. Glorify yourself in this place and in each life. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.